You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism, we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I, the Lord your God, am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is episode 23. In our uh, previous episodes, we began with a pretty much in-depth study of Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus, emphasizing the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. God justifies us, declares us righteous, not because of anything we do, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. And now, as we live the holy life, God transforms us from the inside out. He... um, sanctifies us, and this is a lifelong process. We're declared holy, but we battle that old Adam each and every day. God's Word has a lot to say about holy living, and uh, that's the purpose of this program, to see what God's Word has to say about living a Christian life. We have been talking uh, under the broader category of Christian ethics. Uh, we've been parking the car for quite some time at God's gift of marriage. In our previous episode 22, we talked quite a bit about God's gift of marriage and what happens when marriages fall apart and uh, the reality, the sin of divorce in our world. Today, we're going to... Um, continue with that sexual ethics as uh, it relates to God's gift of marriage. And we want to talk about the topic of pornography. And really, this is a broader topic um, than uh, just images on a screen or images on paper. Uh, We want to talk about this um, sexual immorality that uh, is so prevalent in our world and uh, is the very antithesis of God's gift of sexuality and God's gift of marriage. Pastor Moline, what's the good word for today? Well, Jesus died for our sins. I think that's the good word for every day, right? Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, thoughts in general with regard to this uh, this topic that we want to uh, we want to explore, but we want to explore it in a tasteful way as well. 
Yeah, uh, adultery is kind of a big issue, and it has a lot of different um, aspects to it, and I think maybe we should just tackle them one at a time, uh, extramarital uh, affairs, and that would include then premarital. premarital I, I think we make our, ourselves a mistake when we distinguish between premarital and extramarital, because really both of them are extramarital outside the fireplace, uh, to use our our uh, our theme there um and then um even the ways that that happens um in in its detail you know what i mean uh without going into gory details sure um you know in our last segment uh, our last program we talked we talked a lot about the sin of divorce and we had a lot of practical advice we had a lot of uh, practical teaching and i think that was very good and very necessary but uh, we we did not have a uh, a lot of scripture um, God's word in our last program, and uh, I want to I want to take care of that right off the bat. When um, several years ago, I taught a, a Bible study here at Good Shepherd. I probably need to uh, dust it off for a new generation now, but uh, we spent oh half a year, six months or more, studying the book of Song of Solomon. And when people hear that name, Song of Solomon, uh, a lot of times, you know, the eyebrows rise and, oh, Song of Solomon, uh, you know, that kind of a thing. And uh, this, is, this is for mature audiences. And uh, I believe for many years in the church, uh, it was recommended or maybe even mandated that nobody under the age of 30 should read the book of Song of Solomon because it does get into some very intimate details. I think that's carrying it a bit too far. But there is a refrain from the book of Song of Solomon. And most people are not very familiar with this book. It's, a, it's an excellent little book that extols God's gift of love and it extols Christ uh, as uh, the ultimate gift of love. But there's a refrain three times in the book of Song of Solomon this refrain comes, and uh, this is Song of Solomon 2, verse 7. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And then again in Song of Solomon 3, 5, we have the exact same verse. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And then the third time, it's just a little bit different wording. Song of Solomon 8, verse 4, and it's very near toward the end of the book. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Now, some translations would say, do not stir up or awaken love until it's time. Um, Pastor, I have always taken those verses, and uh, some would go so far as to say that is the general theme of the entire book of Song of Solomon. I've always taken those verses to say uh, that we should not kindle love or kindle sexual desires in any way, shape, or form before the marriage bed. And um, I don't know if you've pondered on that theme or that verse, but uh, your thoughts on that, uh, on my take on that verse. Yeah, I, I think that's um, 
perhaps a good way to think those think about those particular verses. Uh, I haven't spent a lot of time studying Song of Solomon. I've read it and I've looked through it, but uh, I haven't taught any Bible studies on it. And I would I would say I agree with what you said with one little caveat. Um, I would say you said until the marriage bed. I would say outside the marriage bed. We don't well, want to wake until that up. or outside. I right. I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that. So uh, I think maybe that's a good way to think about this and that we can start to uh, look at that. One of the ways that uh, love, um, sexual desires, intimacy, uh, however you want to couch that, one of the ways that uh, this is uh, kindled outside the fireplace, kindled outside the marriage bed, uh, either before or after the marriage bed, is uh, with the plague of pornography that is around us um, this is this is something that has been around uh, as long as man has existed uh, whether it be charcoal drawings on a cave or graffiti during the Roman times that you're uh, you're more of an expert in than me and even more than graffiti since you're talking about it <laughs> I mean um, they would have uh, depictions of phalluses all over the place in ancient Rome. They would have depictions uh, at brothels about what room uh, was meant for what sort of activity. And uh, um, even uh, within their worship, there was uh, inappropriate things going on as well. And I've seen I've seen the little the little statues or idols, whatever you want to call them, of uh, the women with many breasts and all these kind of things. These are all pornographic uh, displays in one way, shape, or form. The, um, uh, whether, whether it be statues or pictures or whatever, um, Luther lamented that uh, God's great gift of the printing press, which could be used for so many things in teaching and expanding the word of God and the kingdom of God was being used for shameful and disgraceful things. So we know that as soon as the printing press came into being, uh, sinful men figured out ways to uh, put those kind of images and pictures in print. And so this is around, and nowadays, um, it's much more easily accessible. Everybody has, uh, e even the youngest among us, uh, many of them, have a, a computer that they put in their pocket called a cell phone. And uh, you're just a click or two away from all kinds of um, inappropriate and uh, sexually based images, stories, themes, pictures, um, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's so easily available and it is so prevalent in our society. Why is it, Pastor, that as time has grown, not only has this problem not gone away, but it has apparently increased and increased and increased to the point now where it's very, very difficult to go to a movie uh, to read a book, to watch a television show that does not have uh, graphic nudity, uh, sexual content, or even allusions to inappropriate sexual behavior. Why is that? Well, um, in a sense, it's because we're drifting away from our uh, Christian morals, right? Um, the way that we're headed and really that we already have uh, entered right now is the way that it had been, historically speaking, outside of 
uh, Christian morals outside of those who believed God's word and upheld it as best they could. And uh, there's money attached to it. There's excitement attached to it. There's um, marketing attached to it. Uh, all sorts of things that go forth. And um, it's because there are these desires, and it's a way to manipulate them to gain uh, in in uh, worldly aspects. Uh, and so it's nothing new. So power and money? Power and money, I would say, would be the, the two biggest things that are behind this. And, uh, you know, power and money drive a lot of things in our world. Uh, when we're talking about these kind of things uh, with regard to sexual ethics, um, the collateral damage that is left behind is... Uh, amazing and untold. Uh, I don't think we have any kind of a grasp on the uh, damage that is done, the damage that is done to marriages, the damage that is done to the family, the damage that is done to young brains that are still forming, and when they are inundated with this kind of uh, pollution, uh, their brain literally is damaged and polluted by this. Uh, studies, uh, untold studies, uh, document this, and uh, it is this collateral damage that I think we we need to bring out, uh, not to scare people away from pornography, but to help people see the damage that is being done, and and maybe like the prodigal son, help people come to their senses. I think that would be a good thing. Yeah, the um, you know when I was young, and you'd turn on the TV and you'd watch the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, Rob and Laura slept in uh, single beds. And I always wondered where little Richie came from. But uh, nowadays when you turn on the television, very, very little is left to the imagination. And if you have cable TV or any streaming device or anything like that, nothing is left to the imagination. And uh, this uh, pollution, which leads to self-pollution, is uh, a terrible, terrible plague on our society. We need to take a break. This is Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline will be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're discussing Christian ethics and more specifically Christian sexual ethics. We've been extolling God's gift of marriage as is uh, uh, instituted and revealed to us in the first two chapters of Genesis. In our uh, previous segment, we looked at uh, the book of Song of Solomon. And three times there where we get the refrain, do not awaken love or love's desires until it's time. Um, the, this word from God tells us that um, 
to use uh, Pastor Moline's, uh, I think, brilliant fireplace analogy, uh, the fire needs to be in the fireplace. And uh, if you try to kindle the fire someplace else outside of the fireplace, and the fireplace being God's gift of marriage, uh, outside of the fireplace or before the fireplace is built, uh, we can use it that way too, that uh, you're going to have problems. And uh, we ended by talking about uh, so much of the collateral damage that happens when um, this sexual intimacy is kindled in places where God has not designed it or gifted it to us. And uh, we've been We've been kind of alluding to pornography and a lot of the different ways that pornography has manifested itself uh, throughout history. Uh, it's too bad we don't have any examples of this in um, in Scripture, Pastor. Yeah, I mean, it would be really handy if there was one to a very central character, um, you know, that was expanded upon in at least two chapters of the Scripture and had repercussions that uh, echoed into the Psalms and even into the New Testament. You know what I mean? That would be really great. Are you telling me, Pastor, that God's Word is uh, so comprehensive that even this topic is uh, talked about in God's Holy Writ? It is, and I think we should look at it from Second Samuel chapter eleven and twelve, and maybe we'll even uh, uh, look at chapter fifty-one or Psalm fifty-one, uh, where we actually sing words that flow out of this in worship every week, um, talking about this very issue and the response to it. Take, uh, and this take is, us there, Pastor. What, is, uh, what set the stage, and then get us into Second Samuel eleven. This is uh, the account of David and Bathsheba, and uh, it is a historical account. And if you recall, David was a man after God's own heart, um, a man in the lineage of Jesus, a man who had been made king, uh, who had uh, lived kind of in exile from the previous king for a very long time, refusing to kill the Lord's anointed, which I think is uh, important. Um, And finally, he becomes king, and uh, he's placed over... Over his rule, and um, he shirks his duties and responsibility and falls into sin. And so uh, we'll pick up, if you want to follow along, if you're not driving a car, Second mm-hmm. Samuel chapter 11, and I'll just kind of read at least the uh, account of the sin part of it, and then we can uh, also talk about the, the church's response to it uh, through the prophet Nathan in chapter 12. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle— David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay, can we stop there, Pastor? Yeah. And because uh, there's there's a lot here that uh, I think would be uh, important for our hearers to um, uh, meditate on with regard to this particular particular sexual sin. Now, we we certainly have the sin of adultery. Um, 
David is married to someone else, and Bathsheba is married to someone else, and so so we have that you know actual sin of adultery. But there are many things that led up to this. At the very first part, it uh, it always amazed me why God recorded this in Holy Scripture. In the springtime of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent all these other people, but David remained at Jerusalem. It seems to me that the problem began when David shirked his duty as king, when David sinned against his vocation. He's laying around um, doing nothing, uh, has all kinds of time on his hand when he has a job to do and he's not doing it. Am, am I stretching that uh, historical account too far, Pastor? No, I think that's exactly what happens, and I think that that is at the, the core of it, both for David as well as for us also. Uh, we're given particular vocations, and it's good for us to uh, do those vocations, to even um, wear ourselves out doing them, because uh, that leaves less time for us to, and less energy to go out and to fall into particular sins. You know, if you go to work and you come home and are tired and need to go to bed, uh, then you don't have the time to think about stealing a car or committing adultery or, or things like that. And so uh, that's the first part of this. David doesn't fulfill his duty as husband, uh, as father then ultimately also, and then as father of his late nation of Israel as king. Uh, and so he falls short in all of those places and instead puts other people out to do those particular jobs, leaving him time and energy to do something wicked and cruel. The uh, the collateral damage here is already beginning, and you brought this up. Um, instead of uh, lounging around on the roof of the house, window peeking, which is essentially what he's doing, um, instead of uh, loving his wife and caring for his wife and seeing how he can be the best husband for his wife. Wives even at this point. Yes. Yeah, I think at least three. And uh, instead of being a father to his children, and we know all about the, uh, the, the family dysfunction in uh, David's family, especially in the uh, rebellion of Absalom. Which happens right after this, by the way. <laughs> it, 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 and it's no accident. Um, when we shirk our God-given vocations, when we are not doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do, and he does this 99.9% .9 of the time inside the vocations that he has given us, when we aren't working hard and loving those that God has given us, when we're not doing those things, our minds wander, we have all kinds of uh, free time, we're bored. And uh, we shouldn't be because we've got work to do. But we're bored, and when these kind of thing, when these times happen, we are prime for Satan to tempt us, and that's exactly what happens here. It is, and I think um, you know we already know something about David as well. Um, he was given. Saul's daughter, um, Michael, to be his wife. I got the name right. Um, and uh, then she was taken away, and he gets two more wives, um, uh, one of them being Abigail, of course, who had been married before. 
And uh, so he has three wives, so that already tells us something, too, about his understanding of marriage, doesn't it? It sure does. If we go back to Genesis, what's the foundation for marriage? For this reason, a man shall leave his wife, or leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We already see that David, um, in his sinful nature, has already kind of disavowed that. Yes, and uh, uh, the... uh the sin is uh, prevalent here. The sexual sin is prevalent. And wh- let's be honest, when you're the king, you can pretty much do whatever you want and have whatever you want. And that's exactly what happens as we go through in uh, the narrative that you just re- read there. As it happened late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch, okay, um, Maybe a TV show came on that he didn't like. He finally ran out of potato chips, whatever. Uh, he arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. Now, why would someone be walking on their roof at this particular time, culture, uh, whatever? Yeah. Uh, is it cooler up there? Is it, uh, is it uh, a, a place for meditation? Uh, help me out there, Pastor. Yeah, uh, it would be cooler, especially in the afternoon after the sun had been beating down on the house all day long. And even archaeologically, we have some evidences of these things. We, we think uh, we know where the city of David was, and at the top of the hill of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem's kind of built on a ridge between two valleys, and uh, at the top of that is where the temple is now, and under the southern end of that temple, um, we think that would be where uh, David's home would have been, close to the top of the hill. And uh, underneath that, even if you go there today, you can see the entire city falling away beneath you. And so you'd go up on your roof in the afternoon when it was warm. There would be kind of a um, I guess we'd maybe call it a pergola uh, sort of thing today where you'd have uh, shade from above and uh, sometimes even like a woven screen around the walls. So you're sitting in the shade, but the air can blow through and move through, and so you're cooler as a result of that. Uh, So he goes up there to cool down, and he's looking over the city, and he happens to see uh, Bathsheba up there taking a bath. And already now, uh, at this moment, David has already committed adultery with her because he has looked upon her um, with his eyes. And at the very best, if he accidentally saw, uh, what should he have done? Right? Should have turned away. Turned away, gone back downstairs, or repented. Uh, yes. And so instead, he sits there and watches and uh, is looking at her and um, uh, committing adultery. Uh, with his eyes. And these are the words of Jesus, right? If you so much as look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery with her. That's what David does. Let's make some parallels now to um, today with regard to, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting at the computer, honestly doing a Google search or whatever, sometimes naughty stuff comes up. I mean, you don't have to be doing many Google searches in order to do that. Um, you 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 turn away you turn away you you don't proceed uh you'll have advertisements for you know oh this celebrity was in a slinky dress at this most recent event you don't click on those sites you don't go there uh david had these options but he chose to follow his sinful heart 
rather than the new heart that God had given him in faith. And so we've got these kind of things that are are going on. Uh, with the culture, Pastor, uh, was Bathsheba taking a bath on top of the house, on top of her house? Was that part of the culture too? Well, there's debate about this, right? There are those who say that... Um, this is kind of a commonplace sort of thing that you would go up and take kind of a sponge bath up there uh, within the pergola of your own home uh, to keep your stuff dry and safe inside your home. Because these are just uh, one, two room houses with the, the roof up there above as well. So that's possible. It's possible, too, that Bathsheba knew the, the position of her home in relation to the palace and was up there attempting to get the attention uh, of King David. We don't have enough information from the scripture to say one way or the other, but we can say that both of those things are possible. And Bathsheba's response um, indicates a little bit of interesting uh, fodder for that discussion as well. So I'd point out before we run out of time here for break, um, David sees and he calls one of his servants and says, see the naked lady over there? Who's that? I want her. And so we have him bringing more people into this as well. And Bathsheba comes willingly. She doesn't, um, she doesn't protest. She doesn't protest, which she should have done. So we have an issue the whole way around. The um, viewing of pornography from his roof by window peeking or gazing led not only uh, led from a sin of the heart to actual committing of the deed we need to take a break we'll be right back equipping the saints don't change that dial you are listening to knnalp 95.7 fm lincoln nebraska Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we appreciate your feedback. We're looking at the broad topic of Christian ethics, uh, more specifically Christian sexual ethics. We've been extolling God's gift of marriage, and in this episode, episode 23, we're looking at what happens when... Um, other things enter into the uh, gift that God has given us in marriage and his gift of sexuality that is to be used inside of marriage. In uh, segment one, we looked at uh, three separate passages from Song of Solomon that teaches us not to awaken love's desires before its time. And uh, I jokingly said to Pastor, uh, it's too bad we don't have any other scriptural examples of this. And uh, we've been digging deep now into Second Samuel 11, David and Bathsheba. We looked at the first five verses of Second Samuel 11, uh, David sinning against his vocation, David uh, viewing pornography on top of his roof by window peeking, um, and I, maybe we need to expand on that just a little bit, Pastor. Um, 
Is it legitimate for us to equate David's activities up on the roof with uh, somebody sitting behind a computer screen today or thumbing through uh, some sort of triple X magazine? It is because behind all of it is the same issue, right? That person is not your wife. That person is not your spouse. Uh, Or, you know, today we could say even that person is not your husband. They're theoretically the spouse of someone else. And so by looking at someone who is not your spouse, but potentially the spouse of someone else, you are committing adultery. You are breaking the sixth commandment. You are sinning. Christ is very clear about it. The scriptures are very clear about it. And uh, the same thing that David's doing here by looking at someone else's spouse uh, is uh, the same thing that so many people today do uh, in the same way at a computer screen, phone screen, uh, strip club, all those places and more. So, you know, you, you talked about the uh, kind of the open question with regard to was was Bathsheba doing this intentionally, trying to get the king's attention and uh, being provocative that way, because, uh, you know, not only is it good to be the king, it's probably good to be the wife of the king. Or was this uh, David, uh, you know, exploiting someone who was his subject and he had the power over um, It could be either one, it could be both, and it really doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. I I think, like I said, you can't tell because the scripture doesn't tell us, but the fact that Bathsheba, it's not recorded that she protests, does indicate something, but we can't uh, draw a conclusion merely from that. No, and uh, I think if that protest was there, because we're, we've gotten all kinds of details already here, including her menstrual cycle, um, I think if she had protested or they had to drag her in or anything like that, I think those details would have been given to us as well i agree okay should we uh should now no, okay so they did the deed and she's pregnant and and as you said uh that's because she's at her time of peak fertility uh the scripture goes out of the way to make note of that as you said uh, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness uh, when uh, a woman would come into the time of having her period um, blood being an unclean thing there would be no uh, allowance for relations at that time and after it was completed uh, for seven days they had to purify themselves uh, even today that's still the same way which puts you into the the peak cycle for fertility, uh, and that's the time that this particular encounter is taking place, which is going to lead to the issues that come more later. Okay, so she becomes pregnant, and uh, what are we going to do about it? I mean, God's gift of sexuality uh, intended between a husband and a wife who are married to each other, um, the fruit of that intimacy is the gift of life. And uh, we'll have much more to talk about uh, in upcoming episodes with regard to God's gift of life and what happens when we disregard that gift. But here, um, this pregnancy is a bit of an issue for the king because the person who is pregnant with the king's child is not the king's wife. And I'd say, uh, if anything, the issue isn't really for David. The issue is for Bathsheba because, uh, and this is sadly the way it is often in the world, right? Um, 
unless Bathsheba says something, uh, the king is kind of off the hook. And even if she does say something, the king can deny it and will probably be believed. The issue is for Bathsheba, who will be found to be pregnant while her husband is away. And legally then, she could be stoned. And I'm not saying this is right, and we're going to see here that the husband is, uh, the man involved, is also going to be on the hook for this particular issue in God's eyes. But in a very practical way, uh, she's the one who's pregnant and is going to have to deal with the consequences, which is sad. Okay, so we see the sin of lust in David's heart uh, overflowed into physical intercourse, adultery, and now uh, Bathsheba is pregnant, and it's time for David and Bathsheba to confess their sin and beg forgiveness. Uh, Uriah, beg forgiveness of Uriah, beg forgiveness of David's wives, beg forgiveness of God. Uh, Is that what happens next, Pastor? Well, should we read it? Yes. Uh, We're going to pick up at verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord, and did not go down to the house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths or tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in the presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Okay, let's stop right there. That's through verse 13 of Second Samuel 11. Um, so, I, I hope our hearers are connecting the dots, but just in case, Pastor, uh, it appears that David is trying to cover up the sin with Bathsheba uh, in a way that does not involve confession and absolution. He, uh, he brings Uriah home, thinking that Uriah will sleep with Bathsheba, then the baby that is in her womb uh, would be believed to be Uriah's baby and not his own. And then the shame and the questions revolving around here, except for the shame of Bathsheba and the shame of David and the shame of David's servants that he involved in this dastardly deed. Is that what's going on here? David is trying to cover up his sin outside of God's forgiveness. He is. Um The idea that David hatches is that if Uriah comes home and sleeps with his wife, that day there's no DNA testing, there's nothing else. So uh, the baby, when it's born, Uriah will think that it's his and take the child as his child and raise it as his child. And Bathsheba will be off the hook. And then ultimately, David himself will be off the hook. And this is 
man, this is awkward, isn't it? I mean, Uriah is one of David's mighty men. Uh, Uriah has followed David around, defending him, fighting for him, protecting him, even maybe even helping place him onto the throne of Israel from a merely human standpoint. And now he's out putting his life on the line again for King David and for the people of Israel. He's left his own people, the Hittites, behind. Uh, He's converted to Judaism. Um, Even his name means the Lord is my light, and he is 100% on board with actually living the Christian, uh, Jewish at that time, life. And uh, David's just going to try and trick him to cover up this terrible sin with his own wife for his friend. And just think about that. How long is David and Bathsheba going to have to live this lie out then? It, uh, it seems amazing to me, Pastor, that um, while David shirked his vocation on numerous levels, uh, vocation of king, vocation of husband, vocation of father, vocation of uh, you know, being a good neighbor to the next door people, you know, all these vocations, David sins against them all. And Uriah comes home and he gives this bold confession of faith. Uh, you know, the men are living in booths, in tents. Uh, the, all these things uh, are being done. How, how can I shirk my vocation and go sleep with my wife and enjoy the high life here with you, King David? I got work to be done. Isn't that God reminding David as well? Uh, one more call to repentance through the actions of Uriah? You would definitely think so. I mean, think about the burning coals that this would heap upon David's forehead because uh, in the time when kings go out to war, David was on his couch and on his roof instead. I mean, right? (laughs) The, the, The original couch potato. And now somebody comes from the front lines and says, yeah, we're going to go and do this. This is what all the men are doing. What are you doing here, David? I mean, he doesn't say it. He's very respectful to the office of king, but that had to have heaped the coals on David's head even more. And what's he do? Well, he doubles down again. Well, if he's not going to do it willingly, I'll get him to do it accidentally by getting him drunk um, and uh, sending him home that way. And even that doesn't work. You know, I'm reminded of... um in the, in the scriptures with uh, the Holy Week and the Passion of our Lord Jesus, when uh, Peter uh, foolishly chops off the ear of Malchus. And then Jesus miraculously heals Malchus's ear. Uh, what was Malchus's vocation? Soldier. And who was he uh, an attache to? The high priest. Caiaphas. And every time Caiaphas looked at Malchus... He had to wonder, let me see that ear. Was this really cut off? Did Jesus really do this? God loved Caiaphas so much that he was continuing to call him to repentance. Even after Jesus is dead and risen from the dead, he's got this call to repentance right there in Malchus. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know if Caiaphas uh, got sick and tired of Malchus and fired him or put him to death or whatever because he didn't want to be called to repentance. But in the same way, God loves David and wants him to repent and gives him this faithful, faithful example in Uriah. And Uriah um, 
will not shirk his vocation. He, out of love for God and service, faith toward God and love toward other people, he will not sin against his conscience. And so David's hatched plan, I love that, David's dastardly deed um, does not work. Once again, David has an opportunity to repent at this point and come clean, but he doesn't. We were a little long on our last segment. We're going to cut this one a little bit short. Equipping the Saints will continue the account when we come back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. We have Wednesday evening services year-round at 630. A great opportunity to be in God's house, to be fed God's Word, and to be strengthened in our quest for holiness. I did not... Uh, coin that phrase. That's from the uh, classic Adolf Kerberly book. Uh, we joked uh, that our, our uh, theme music coming back after that last segment, um, I thought maybe uh, Highway to Hell by ACDC would be appropriate. Uh, and uh, Pastor Moline had a different uh, song in mind. Yeah, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, also by ACDC. Yeah, ACDC seems to have the corner on this genre. Apparently. Uh, but now we don't have to worry about uh, copyright with uh, with them. Um, David has, uh, the, the, the sin in David's heart has exploded uh, into adultery. And uh, in order to cover up the sin and the pregnancy, uh, he brings Uriah back home. He has this uh, plan that he has hatched to uh, have Uriah sleep with his wife, and then uh, he can just keep going on being king and forgetting about Bathsheba, and life will be good. But Uriah is more righteous than David. And um, what did you say Uriah means again, Pastor? Uh, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. Uh, right out of or Psalm, the light of the Lord. Yeah. The right out of Psalm twenty-seven. The Lord is the light of my life, uh, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Um, the intro it for the seventh Sunday of Easter, if I remember right. Okay, so. Um, uh, we, uh, we want to get to a different part of Scripture here, Pastor. So can you kind of recap what happens now um, as David sends Uriah back to the front and as God continues to love Uriah? Yeah, so legally, uh, Bathsheba and David should both be stoned to death uh, because they have committed adultery, and uh, they are essentially going to be caught in that adultery. But instead, David decides uh, to trick Uriah. Uriah does not give in. So now David says, well, I just need to eliminate Uriah. And then David, from his perspective, can also come out uh, looking really nice in this. He's going to send Uriah to the front line to be killed in battle, and and then when he gets word of this, he's going to bring Bathsheba into his own house. Everyone will think that David is 
doing such a nice thing, taking care of the widow of one of his soldiers, and he'll gain in stature in the eyes of everyone there. The baby will be thought to be his and be legitimate, and uh, all the issues will be taken care of if he only kills his friend. So uh, the, the lust in his heart has now manifested itself into premeditated murder. All in an attempt to hide. All in an attempt to hide his sin. And this is what happens when we try to hide our sin or when we try to remove our sin outside of the forgiveness that God freely gives, confession and absolution. And so um, Uriah goes to the front. He's killed when the troops withdraw back, as they were told to do. Bathsheba goes into David's house. Uh, David is married to her, and uh, they think they got away with it. But God's word says uh, the Lord was not pleased. And God then sends someone to David. Pastor, who does God send to David? Well, he's going to send Nathan the prophet. Maybe it's worthwhile talking about this. David had the sin in his mind. He brought his uh, feet out to carry him to do a deed, and so the sin manifested itself then, and then he attempted to hide it, um, and now God is going to call it what it is and speak about it honestly and truthfully. Because no matter how hard we try to hide our sin, Adam and Eve in the garden, no matter how hard we try to hide our see, uh, sin, uh, when uh, when our spouse <coughs> sees the uh the bill on the internet charge for some illicit activity, and we can't explain it. No matter how hard we try to hide our sin, we can't do it. And God knows it, even if we do hide it from e- the people. Even if we're us. clever enough, temporarily or maybe even permanently, to hide our sin from others, God always knows. God always knows, and the proof of that is in God sending Nathan. Yep, and Nathan's name means gift, which I think is important as well. It's a gift to be confronted by our sin and to be forced to confess it and to receive absolution. Um, And uh, we just need to keep that in mind. Lots of times when we actually deal with these sorts of situations and we have to confront someone, they're angry and they say, what's this? It's not your business. Stay out of it, blah, blah, blah. You're a pastor. You're lording it over me because I'm just a simple layman. Right. All that kind of silly and nonsense. But it's actually for the good of the individual's eternal salvation, and we need to see that in this as well. So Nathan comes and he tells a story about, uh, you know, somebody who steals a sheep, and David is, you know, go get him, go get him. Yeah, we got to punish this evildoer. And then he says, uh, David, you're the man. You're the man. Um, does David have Nathan put to death like he did Uriah? No, uh, he he does finally do what is right. He uh, confesses that the, the truth of it, and um, Uriah uh, is dead, but Nathan still forgives his sin, both for the adultery and for the death of Uriah. But there is going to be a, an earthly consequence for it, and this is often the case in sexual sin even today. Uh, there is a earthly consequence that still we deal with in a very practical sense, even though eternally our sins are forgiven. The, uh, the consequence is the, uh, the child conceived will die, and... Um 
you know, David says he'll he'll see that child again in heaven, which I think is important, right? Because very, very much so. This this is indicating that by confessing his sin and it being brought out into the open and receiving absolution, his faith in God is restored in that he now again is able to confess the resurrection of the dead. The um, the consequences of our sin, uh, especially sexual sin. Are, uh, it could be a sexually transmitted disease. It could be a broken marriage. It could be a broken family. Uh, it could be a loss of job or a loss of uh, you know, stature in the public eye or whatever. Uh, shame and ridicule if something uh, is become public that you hoped would keep secret. Uh, the consequences of sin, uh, not only the number of people that end up being collateral damage just because of a selfish, um, oftentimes narcissistic action that um, really causes uh, terrible, terrible damage. Uh, Pastor, I want to go to Psalm 32 because we're really good at times in pointing out the sin, and uh, I think we're pretty good sometimes in pointing out the alternative, but uh, as people are listening to this, uh, they, they may be full of that shame and guilt and racked uh, with uh, uh, feelings of remorse over sexual sin that they're committing right now uh, or sexual sin that has been haunting them from the past. Uh, Psalm 51 would be a great place to go, but I think uh, for our discussion today to wrap up this uh, episode 23, uh, the place for us to go would be Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Would you want to share um, the uh, first five verses? First five verses, I think, would Blessed be Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Boy, that's right out of uh, Divine Service 3 in uh, Lutheran Service Book. Uh, Pastor, who, who was the human author of this particular psalm? Uh, well, according to the words right before what we started reading, it is a masculine of David. So David is kind of giving us a... Um, diary entry, an autobiographical thought, and all the times that he's trying to hide his sin, all the times he's trying to be clever and cook up plans to cover up his sin outside of God, outside of God's gift of forgiveness. It says, for when I was silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand, God's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Is this is this something that is unique to David, or is this something that is universal to everyone who tries to hide their sin by their own reason and strength? I think it's universal. I think everyone um, hides their sin in some way, shape, or form and knows the things David is talking about and feels the pressure, whether it be a sexual sin or a different type of sin. And I think um, you've even seen um, people who have committed a crime and have been running for years and years and years, when they're finally caught, they 
they feel relief. And they even talk about it. It's such a relief to finally be done running from the things I've been trying to hide. And I think that's the idea David is bringing across. And who's the person that we're hiding and, and running from? It's not the FBI or the police. Maybe it is, <laughs> right? But um, ultimately, ultimately, it's not. it's God. And, um, and the thing is, there's eventually going to become a reckoning day for you one way or another. And uh, on that day, uh, what hope do you have? Only the mercy of God shown through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why confession, and uh, not just confession on itself, but confession and absolution are so important. You know, Pastor, it seems to me that uh, this account of David and Bathsheba and Nathan is uh, a picture of the relentless love that God has for the sinner. God continues to put situations and people in David's life to call him to repentance, and he doesn't. And then God continues, and David fails to repent. And God does not give up. He sends Nathan. And finally, finally the word of God breaks David's hard heart. Isn't that the way God continues to work today? It is, and uh, we need to keep that idea in mind and to continue to trust in the things God has promised to work faith in. The Word uh, is definitely the thing that crushed David's stone-hard heart and uh, created the new heart within him, as he himself says. And uh, so we need to stop being afraid of the Word or stop self-justifying away the Word or denying the Word or preventing the Word from coming to us, but rather be glad to hear it and receive the mercy and forgiveness that God brings in that Word. There's no sin. I mean, think about David. He murdered, he committed adultery, uh, he lied. He basically, if, if we were to go through it, uh, I do this in confirmation class, he broke all ten commandments, um, every single one of them, in extreme ways, and yet God was able to forgive him. How much worse is your sin? It's not. God can forgive you and does in Christ as well. Very, very well said, Pastor, and... Uh uh, for you that are listening to this program right now, God is sending you a Nathan, and his name is Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline. And come to God's house. Listen to God's word. Hear the word of God for you. If you're haunted by your sin, if you're struggling with an habitual sin, uh, whatever, whatever is causing you to feel the hand of God pressing down upon you, come to God's house, hear God's word, receive God's gift of forgiveness, and live. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back again soon, equipping the saints, God's richest blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.